It's often a bit mystifying how brands magically go viral overnight. Sometimes they make it big, and other times they crash and burn. Is the road to brand fame and a bump to the bottom line worth the risk? I'm Alexis. And I'm Melissa. And we're just a little obsessed with these marketing moments. So join us as we break down the craziest brand stunts, from how the idea sparked to how the heck they pulled it off. Or didn't, and of course, will it stick? Hey, we're hey. here again. Again, same <laughs> spot. How are you? I'm good. And how are all you people out there? Good, 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 good. <laughs> Thanks. I like the two-way conversation. It's really you, hard you to know, just... that was the audience that I was giving <laughs> I know, you. I know. I like the... I like it. <gasps> so I am excited to shocking play a little game with you right oh now. Oh my gosh, Melissa, a game. Okay, this is going <laughs> to, is this a game or are you going to embarrass me? No, I'm not going to embarrass. Well, it, I mean, you might embarrass yourself, but I'm not, that, don't <laughs> okay. put that on me. I'm just right. going to bring you a fun little activity to kick off our podcast today. Cool. Right. Well, first of all, I just have to tell everyone, for those who don't know why I said, are you going to embarrass me? Melissa has pranked me over the years I can't, I can't even count on my hands how many times. And it's not just little pranks. I mean, it's really big pranks. I mean, one time she put pigs and cows in my front yard. Well, and, they, they were like stick figures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be cooler if you actually put pigs and cows. And basically told the entire neighborhood. You that know, you were turning 30. Was turning 30. <laughs> and, you know, other times when we go to the airport, I mean, it never, I think she's kind of toned it down, but we used to travel a lot. And the first time we'd get dropped off, you know, separately and she'd see me and I'd wave like excited to see her, like my buddy, I'm going to travel with her. And she'll scream through the airport, like these profound things like Alexis. <gasps> Not profound, profane, no, sorry, profane, profane <laughs> things. And just my face all of a sudden goes from like this excited face to see her to what the hell is she doing? Like often. And then I'm like looking around. Does anyone see this? Should I hide in a hole? And then she runs up and hugs me. So I can't hide. Often I will start with something like, oh my goodness, Alexis Crisset, is that you? You look amazing. What? You've lost like at least 150 pounds. Oh my goodness. I can't even recognize you. And then everyone's looking and she wants to kill me. It's just so yeah, fun. Yeah. And one time she yelled like, how did how that STD go or something <laughs> not, creepy? Maybe something like that. <gasps> I was so embarrassed. So it just gets worse and worse. So that's the background. Okay. Well, I'm not going to... If anyone has ideas on how I can prank Melissa, please DM me. <laughs> Never going to happen. Okay. So back to my game for you, okay? I want to paint a picture for you. And I want you to tell me what year do these things that I'm going to mention remind you of? Ooh, I like this game. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. You were carrying a BlackBerry, and it was the first BlackBerry ever produced, okay? okay? You had just heard about this weird music site called Napster, where you can download any song you want, pretty much. Okay, wait. Let me just put two things in context. BlackBerry, I had like in 2004 at my first job, but Napster, I remember downloading things in the dorms, okay? Keep okay. going. So if you're downloading music, you're probably downloading songs on Napster from the Millennium album by the Backstreet Boys or maybe Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. 
You also probably had like, remember those really thick, chunky highlights that were like zebra stripes in, in like blonde girl's hair? Um, okay. That was popular. Okay. Have you seen my hair from high school and college? <laughs> and also you were wearing butterfly clips in your hair. Okay. Okay. And you just heard about this like weird new book series called Harry Potter. And finally, oh. if... Gosh, Harry Potter. (laughs) One more thing. If you had kids that year, you were probably on the hunt for a Furby for Christmas. Okay. Definitely did not have kids that year. So that's check box one. (laughs) Name the year. Okay. Harry Potter. My first roommate in college was obsessed with Harry Potter and I would go to sleep and she would legit scream, the witches are coming. And it would freak me out. She was so trippy. How did you get her as a roommate? I have no idea. There were other strange things that happened, but we, <laughs> that's a whole nother episode. But okay, so that was 2000, year 2000 and 2001. Blackberry was 2004. Okay, Backstreet, Baby, Butterfly Clips. I'm going to go 2002. 1999. <gasps> you probably were thinking about like the Blackberry, but not the first ever one because the first one came out in 99. I mean, I felt pretty cool when I got my Blackberry. <laughs> well, 99 was a wacky time. I was 16. How I old was were you? 17. <laughs> and we all thought something insane was going to happen to the world. Remember, like, we all thought on New Year's Eve, 1999, all the computers were going to crash. Like, the world was going to end. That was it. Call it a day. Peace okay, out. Okay, so I just have a question. Back then, were you as, like, freaked out as you are now? Because I could just see me being like, oh, what the hell? Computers are going to crash, you know? going about what's the next party having fun and were you like sitting in your house like under the covers (laughs) like did you get canned food and like cover yourself no I I actually was babysitting that year on New Year's Eve which was so lame but no like how what a horrible thing to remember like that big you know millennium change but I feel like if that happened now you'd be like guys we gotta prepare (laughs) something's gonna happen you're right I would well okay the year's 99 you put yourself there for a minute okay I have my Honda Civic. (laughs) Besides changing into the 2000s, one of the other big things that happened in 99 was the release of a little movie called The Blair Witch Project. Do you remember it? Yeah. As you said it, I got the chills because I remember being so freaked out about it. I still don't even think I know really the deal of The Blair Witch Project. So I'm excited. Oh, good. Well, I'm excited to tell you about it. So we can – I'll refresh your memory kind of – Live here as we go. Okay. So this single film is credited with cultivating viral marketing at the start of the internet era. And it is widely known as the fifth highest earning independent film of all time. Isn't that crazy? Wow. I know. And this movie is really seen as the first ever film to be primarily marketed by the internet, which if you think about it, you probably make assumptions that there were already films that were using the internet to market them in, you know, 1999, but that was not the case. Yeah. That's, it doesn't feel that long ago, but it no. was, wow. you know? So, on AOL? <laughs> on AOL IM, yes. So let's go back to January 1999. This is a full six months before the Blair Witch Project film was actually released in theaters for all of us like normal people to see. So there were rumors circulating leading up to the Sundance Film Festival, and they were some odd rumors. Supposedly, there was a film that was going to debut that was based on a true story, and the story was kind of insane. Okay. 
There were three student filmmakers, Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams, and Joshua Leonard, and they had all gone hiking into the Black Hills near Burkittsville, Maryland in 1994 to film a documentary. Oh, yeah. I remember. It was the the one that was the true story. Yeah. And so they were going to film this documentary about a local legend known as the Blair Witch. So rumors had it that all three students disappeared and no one had been able to locate them at all. And then one year later, their equipment and footage was discovered, and the recorded footage was made into a film that we now know as The Blair Witch Project. Wow. Crazy, right? Crazy. So the film was actually a surprise hit at Sundance when it aired at like its midnight time slot on January 25th, 1999. And, you know, you would think it's like a natural fit for this kind of movie to air at midnight, but actually midnight's when they put like the, the not yeah, expected. to stay up till yeah. midnight after they've been watching films all day? I know not me. I'd be asleep in the pews. <laughs> the pews? The pews. <laughs> not the pews. <laughs> Are you thinking of like midnight Church. mass? <laughs> That's midnight mass. I hope when they I don't have sleep. pews. <laughs> How uncomfortable. Okay. So it was, I mean, a really low budget film. It was created on a $60,000 budget with just eight days of film reel total. Wow. And that's not the norm for popular high grossing movies, but definitely not even the norm for indie flicks. Like, or documentaries, right? I mean, that's crazy. Totally. And the plot of the film was really unique. I you know, am today, and I was then, very scared of horror movies. Oh, um, I hate horror movies. They're horrendous. I don't see them. I did see this one because I felt a lot of pressure. Okay. But like, maybe you know this already, but like if I even am laying in bed and I see a horror movie preview come on, like watching TV, I change the channel. Oh yeah. I know that we travel together and if we watch anything, not even just horror, like suspense or crime related, she's like, okay, we got to watch HGTV. <laughs> like something happy. She has to change, change the channel. Brain. Yep. Totally. But despite my fear of horror movies, like this movie really intrigued me because it was marketed so creatively and the world was really confused. Like, was it real or was it not? Yeah. Right? So I thought it was real. Let's find out. You still think it's real? I mean, I thought. Okay, I thought cool. it was a documentary. Yeah. So before we get into like why we were all so confused and why you're still confused and we talk about the marketing of the film, I first want to talk a little bit about the storyline because I think it plays into maybe how you could have believed it's real. Okay? Okay. So as I mentioned, the three film students set out to produce this documentary about the Blair Witch. So they travel to Burkittsville, Maryland, where they proceed to interview local residents about this legend. The locals, like, they, they're like, yeah, we know what's up with that. Like, don't don't even touch it, basically. They were like, stay far away. They told these kids about this hermit who lived in the woods and he would kidnap kids. And actually in the 1940s, he kidnapped and killed seven kids. Oh my gosh. Okay. So supposedly he killed these kids in his basement and he would murder them in pairs of two while having one of the kids stand in a corner while the other one was being murdered. So like watching the other. Sick. Sick, right? So the students don't listen to these people and they go into the woods and they're brave AF, you know, and they decide they're going to research this legend. They think it's going to be a crazy cool story. Like all those horror movies you watch and you're like, don't go into that house in the middle of the desert. (laughs) Exactly. But they do. Exactly. So they go into the woods and long story short, they camp multiple nights and they find all kinds of crazy and ominous stuff. They find these like weird rock piles, you know, those like stacked ones that like- Oh yeah, that someone- You're like, who made that? that? Why is it here? They found a bunch of those. They hear screaming and crying. And of course, 
It wouldn't be a good movie unless they didn't get lost in the woods. So they got very lost. Their compass broke. They lost their map. You know, they were stuck in the woods. Oh, my God. Okay? So on one of their last nights, one of the students, Josh, has a mental breakdown, and he, like, pieces out, and they cannot find him anywhere. So when they wake up in the morning and they do realize he's gone and they're, like, looking around, they're freaking out. And Heather and Mike are the ones left. Heather actually, like, goes away from Mike and records herself apologizing to her family and Mike and Josh's family, taking responsibility for the predicament. So, like, it's interesting because that's some of the found footage that we'll talk about. It was leaked prior to the movie coming out. So, like, she was apologizing and it seemed very real, you know? I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. I am so, so sorry. Because it is my fault. Because it was my project. So as they are searching for Josh, they hear his screams in the woods, but they're convinced that it's just the Blair Witch like trying to, you know, mess with them. Freak them out. Yeah. But they want to find their friend, you know? They followed the cries to an abandoned house, and it contained these demonic symbols and children's bloody handprints on the walls. And, like, of course, they're trying to find Josh, so they go in the house and they go into the basement. Oh, my gosh. Why? Right? Why Why go to the basement? So In the middle of the woods. Yes. So then once they're in the basement, this unseen force attacks Mike, causing him to drop his camera. And then Heather enters the basement screaming, and her camera captures Mike standing in the corner just like... That's that the trailer dude. I remember. Yeah. I like close my eyes and I can visualize, I visualize him, the camera dropping, her screaming. And, yeah. And then yeah. she, and then the unseen force attacks her. She drops the camera and that's where the footage ends. Oh my so it's, does it, I mean, does it seem believable? Maybe not. But the fact, and we'll dive into it, at how they released all of this footage and made it seem so real is why you, people like you and I totally bought into bought it. Bought into it. You know? Wow. So... You know, the quality of the footage was really poor, and I think that's part of what made it seem totally legit. Yeah. You know, if you remember, like, you know, they definitely didn't have that same big production movie quality that we're used to now, and not even in 99. So what we know now, like I said, is the whole thing was just another horror movie. Yeah. It was totally fake, and it was not real in the slightest. The backstory of the legend was also completely fabricated. And it was made up by these two guys, Daniel Miriak and Eduardo Sanchez. And they were both film students in 1993 at the University of Central Florida. Wow. Okay. So they said they were inspired to create the Blair Witch Project because they felt that traditional documentaries on paranormal phenomena were like so much scarier than the normal horror movies that we go and see at the theater. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, this probably sparked the phase of, now there's all those shows on oh, there's so many. TV. that you know, Paranormal Activity, all those crazy. Yeah, and there's like, so many podcasts about it. Like crime yeah. podcasts and paranormal podcasts are like the two most popular categories. Wow. It's insane. So they decided to jump on this and they wanted to create a film that would mimic both. So they grabbed a few friends and started a company called Haxon Films. And I love that the word Haxon means witchcraft through the ages. Ooh, I just love a good name, you know? So of course they had us all convinced that this thing might be real. So let's talk about how they did that. Okay. Okay. In June, 1998, before the film premiered anywhere, a website launched all about the Blair Witch. Now, 
This is a huge deal because it was 1999. And they didn't really do websites for they, movies. They did not. This it was not a thing. It was like the trailer came out in the theater. Yep. Yeah. And the website ended up becoming the most instrumental component of the entire campaign. And every single piece of marketing was meant to lead people back to that website. Wow. So like even surfing the web was not nearly as commonplace in the 90s like for consumers as it is today. So like it wasn't – you didn't naturally think to like look go for to, a movie. Yeah, or, or like go to Google first yeah. or like Googling something wasn't even a verb like yeah. it is today. Even though it existed, it was not anywhere as commonplace as it is today. So the website actually looked like something that college students like very well could have thrown together. And it even helped further the idea that the urban legend of an evil witch camping out in the woods of rural Maryland was actually true, like long before the film's release. So the website, if you actually went to it prior to the film being released and after, it would feature these faux police reports and newsreel-style interviews and had tons of information and questions all about the three missing students. Crazy. Crazy. And it also had the history of the Blair Witch and interviews with the victims' families who were like clearly distraught over the mysterious disappearances. And the website and all of the information like on the site just furthered the debate about if the found footage was real or fake. And plus, like it actually contained materials from what was positioned as real life police officers and investigators giving testimony about their casework. Oh my gosh. It was so believable. I mean, they were sharing like childhood photos of the actors. It looked like a true manhunt for these people. For these people. Yeah. Not a movie promotion. No, at all. So when the screenings began at the Florida Film Festival and then at Sundance, the filmmakers and their teams used some very unique marketing tactics. And this included hanging missing posters for the three film students all around the event. So, but they launched the movie. So did they change their name? No, we'll get there. It's crazy what happens because of that. So, like, they would hang these missing posters, and then they would hand out flyers, and they would ask the viewers to come forward with any information about the missing students. So, it was, like, so believable. Believable. Viewers were confused because they were told through, like, these missing persons posters that the main characters in the film, I mean, that they were missing. Yeah. You know? And they assumed that they went missing when they went into the woods to look for the Blair Witch. And the film was actually positioned as a documentary. So that made people really believe that, like, this could be a real thing, you know? Okay. Actually, I'm going to show you a picture of one of the missing posters. I'll make sure we post it on Instagram. Isn't that crazy? It, like, it's black and white. And it has these, like, dark photos of these three, you know, teenagers or college students. It has their age, their height, their weight, like, their eye color, their full names. And it says to please call the Frederick County Sheriff's Office with any information you may have. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's so real. It is. So the success of the film at Sundance led to Artisan Entertainment actually buying the distribution rights to the film for $1.1 million. So I'm sure wow. those filmmakers were like, we hit it big. Big. This is cool. You know? Yeah. And then they planned the release to the general public for later that summer. And that's when people like us got a chance to be invited into the experience. Okay. You know? So Artisan knew that they had to continue with the very same viral marketing strategy, you know, because that was really helping this film 
develop legs. Oh, yeah. And that's how people were so interested and wanted to see it. They couldn't believe that this actually happened. Totally. And like as we established, the internet was a very new domain for marketers and especially for the film industry. And there's probably not like how we are now internet stalkers. No. Like how you, whenever we, someone submits their resume, we look at their Facebook page. We look, we Google them. We look at their Instagram. People probably didn't even think like, should we Google or do some research on these kids. Yeah. No, they, I mean, why would they think that if everything they were and social media didn't exist yet? So like it wasn't even possible to, you know, I mean, I guess you could Google someone, but the results are not going to be like they are today. Yeah. You know, so a woman named Jessica Ravello was the director of online services at Artisan at the time. And she recalls that the marketing of the Blair Witch Project was just like this crazy dream to work on. Because the directors, along with their production company, had like given them a massive amount of creative collateral that allowed them to go crazy big with this viral campaign. I mean, they also brought in a PR agency, Klein and Walker, to assist with devising this like crazy publicity campaign that utilized these traditional strategies paired with the still emerging internet, wow. which was really smart. So Artisan pushed hard, and they used the Blair Witch website as the place they were directing all that traffic to. And they were also pushing with grassroots and offline marketing at the same time. So every single tactic carried out, like, revolved around stirring confusion among potential movie viewers. Was the footage real? Like, were these people really dead? Like, no one could get to the bottom of it. No, I remember talking about it in high school. Yeah. And what were the conversations like? Like, I remember friends being like, we have to go see this movie. Like, it's going to scare us so much because it's so real. Like, it could happen to us, you know? Yeah, same here. I mean, I just, I remember it all being, did you hear? Can you believe this happened to these three, you know, college students? And that's exactly what their point was. Like, every piece of marketing they created, the intention was to get you to talk about it with your friends and challenge the concept of whether it was real or fake because they wanted everyone to be like, we have to go see it. So they first focused on setting the stage. The Blair Witch team started by spreading rumors about the student filmmakers. So just as as they had done leading up to Sundance, but like in a much bigger way, the studio plastered missing persons posters and leaflets all around college campuses, which is like the perfect place to spread rumors about this documentary being true. Yeah. Right? Well, the interesting thing is, why would people even question if it was fake when they were marketing it as a documentary? So, because most documentaries, you don't even question if they're real or fake, right? Yeah. And is I it just because the paranormal thing or Maybe what? it's the paranormal thing, or maybe it's, you know, the fact that it was being so like heavily grassroots marketed, which I don't know if documentaries were really heavily marketed at that time, yeah. but that's a great question. So... They were hanging these missing person posters all around, and they even went as far as to have fake news stories written up by small local papers about the missing persons and their whereabouts. Isn't that crazy? So, like, I don't even know how they do that because any real journalist would want to actually dive in and, like, make sure it's a legit story, but somehow they did. But they probably, if they were smart, they had enough facts and pieces of content to give the journalists and if they're great salespeople you know you do PR you can sell them on anything for them not to dig totally you know and if they were pitching young kids at the time or like if it was these small community papers yeah it wasn't like New York Times or Washington Post where they're actually investigating a political scam I mean it's totally you're right so people were flocking to the website after reading the posters to learn more and they were super unsure what to believe 
I mean, in fact, the Blair Witch website got so popular leading up to the movie that its servers crashed in 1999. I know. Oh, my gosh. So the studio also like would use message boards and chat rooms, which was so insanely smart. Like if you remember anything about the 90s, you remember how popular those chat rooms oh, were. Oh, yeah. My mom would always – my computer was set up upstairs where she could walk by and she'd always be, you're not in one of those chat rooms, are you? <laughs> but in those chat rooms is really where people would gossip and they would share information. So how smart is it that the marketers behind Blair Witch would just pop into those chat rooms – obviously not as marketers for Blair Witch, and they would start planting seeds about the movie and they would be posing as these concerned citizens who were just wondering if the rumors were true and like, where are the students? And then of course, those little nuggets of information and questions would just spark more and more more. conversation and it would get bigger and bigger. It's so weird because if you think about where the internet and all this is like transformed, we started with chat rooms and then instant messenger. Then we went to social media and ironically, we're going back to like some form of chat rooms, right? But like video style chat rooms. Yeah. Now. That's so, yeah. Like it clubhouse is Clubhouse or like. Or even people are doing like these Zoom group chat rooms, yeah, you know? It is God. interesting. Yeah. What I thought was the coolest part of this campaign is they even manipulated the IMDb page for the entire first year the film was released so that if you looked up the actors their bio would list them as missing and presumed dead. Oh my God. That is genius. INDB changed their policies. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) They're like, we're not going to be lying anymore. We're we're not going to get like scammed. Yeah. Then the trailer for the movie was released and it was really a simple trailer. I mean, it was very basic. It gave viewers little peaks of the film, but it left a lot up to the imagination, which any good movie should do. I get annoyed when like the trailer freaking tells you the whole the thing. entire movie. It's like, I know. come on, what's the point? But what's really cool about how they did this is that the trailer was not shown in any mainstream media, which is the only way movies were marketed prior to this. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So like that gave viewers the feeling that they had stumbled upon this like hidden secret And that, of course, made them want to talk about it and share it with their friends, you know? Crazy. So the other insane thing they did is they partnered with the Sci-Fi Channel to produce and release an hour-long mini documentary on The Blair Witch to demonstrate the realness of the storyline, and they released that a week before the film opened. They were liars. I know. (laughs) But you know, if you're going to go big. Go big. Yeah. I I don't even know how the sci-fi channel allowed them to do that, but there must have been some, I mean, I'm sure it was released as a quote unquote documentary, but it probably like said it was fake somewhere. I don't know. Um, Or again, the producers like didn't even question it. (laughs) Incredible pitch to the sci-fi channel and made them think it was real because everyone in that town thought it was real. That's crazy. Yeah. So this gave people even more reason to believe, of course, the whole thing might be real. And, you know, I think the coolest thing the movie label did was refuse to advertise the film conventionally. Yeah. You know, instead, like showing snippets on college campuses and in other small settings, which played into that whole idea that it might be legit. The trailer was actually leaked on a website called Ain't It Cool News on April 2nd, 99. Then the full film was screened at 40 colleges across the U.S., just to continue to build up that word of mouth campaign. That organic social media buzz. Yeah. And college students were the perfect audience to go after. Perfect audience. Yeah. So the buzz kept building and it got so big 
that this goes back to the question you asked me previously. The main characters whose real names were used in the film were actually presumed to be dead or missing by viewers, including extended family and friends. Oh my God. Can you believe that? So, so like, they tricked their family to- Well, no. I mean, their parents knew, but- extended family and friends. So like the actor's parents actually receive sympathy cards in the mail. How crazy is that? I mean, at what point we're like, we got to stop this. No, they didn't want to stop it. They're like, this is success. Yeah. I actually read somewhere that like Heather Donahue, the main character, like once the movie actually came out and people saw it, because I mean, I don't want to ruin this for you all, but like a lot of people thought it was a horrible movie. (laughs) I mean, just the production quality wasn't there. It was the marketing was amazing. But people would like give her death threats on the on the street and be like, I wish you were dead so I could just get my $3 back. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? It's so mean. But um, the weekend after the movie opened, the marketing team behind the Blair Witch did one thing that did seem like a traditional tactic. They took out a full page ad in Variety Magazine, which is like a pretty well-known yeah. trade pub for like film industry. But their approach with the ad was anything but traditional the, all the ad did was show off the movie's impressive marketing numbers. So like the copy on the ad read BlairWitch.com, 21,222,598 hits to date. Isn't that crazy? Because like no That's one it. was using websites yeah. to market movies. So they wanted to like put it out there and say like, look at what we did and we're changing the way this is being done. You know? So the website hit more than 20 million page views before the film hit theaters in June 1999. Wow. And by August 99, just one month after the film was widely released, the website had received 160 million hits. That was big. And I want to put it in perspective because the internet was like only being used regularly by about 190 million users total. So that means that 11% of all internet traffic went to BlairWitch.com. Isn't that crazy? Now, is that a win or what? I mean, I don't know if they even realized how big that was then, but like that is crazy. Wow. Crazy cool. And people kept coming back to the website like week after week because it did not stay stagnant. They constantly had fresh content. I mean, the team would do things like publish new entries that they found from like Heather's diary or add like a new interview with someone who was involved with the case. That is so smart. I know. So of course, like there was the negative backlash, like I mentioned. I mean, when people actually saw the film, they were like, mm. But that was, I don't think they realized that that was the intent. It was supposed to be really poor quality, right? I mean, it was just an indie flick. I don't yeah. even know if if with the initial intent, they thought it would ever be this big. But yeah. I think it's amazing it was. And who cares about the production quality? Like, the fact that it is still widely recognized as the movie that changed the game for movie marketing is insanity. And the fact that they made a, those three kids made oh. a million bucks well, they made, after 60 And let me, let me tell budget. you what ends up happening okay. at the end because it's far more than the $1.1 million that Artisan paid them for the oh rights. So, you know, when it was all said and done, the return on that very limited marketing investment for this film was crazy. I mean, this movie was featured on the covers of Newsweek and Time magazines. The covers. Oh, my gosh. Like, for a shitty little movie, it's not so bad. (laughs) Not so bad, all you complainers (laughs) and haters. And, like, that's the holy grail. I mean, that's very hard to do, right? Ultimately, the film was originally created with that $60,000 budget. But it actually was reported that only somewhere between 25 and 35K was actually spent to make the movie. 
So like they they planned on spending 60, but they actually didn't at first. And then of course, once Artisan picked up the rights, they invested somewhere between 500 and 750k in like post-production and marketing. and marketing, yeah. But all in all, that was pennies compared to the $248 million the film grossed after becoming a worldwide hit. Oh my gosh. That's 200 crazy. From, from well, a Artisan, that was a brilliant buy on Artisan's part. And brilliant that they kept the exact same marketing strategy versus going to probably what they've done 10 other thousand times with every other movie they've produced and marketed, you yeah. know? An article from Variety Magazine in September 99 really summed it up well by saying, if three months ago you had predicted such hoopla, which I love that word, for a micro-budgeted experimental film originally slotted for a midnight sidebar at the Sundance Film Festival, you might have been advised to seek counseling. And yet the phenomenal success of The Blair Witch Project was no indie fantasy. It really did happen, unlike the events in this mockumentary about three filmmakers who disappear in the woods while investigating a witch of local legend. Now that the hysteria has cooled, it's clear that the film has caused the industry to take stock of the way it makes movies and what audiences expect for their $8 plus admission. That's perfect, perfect. summation of this, right? Like, I mean... No one expected this film to do anything. It shouldn't have done much. And it just blew up. It exploded. And it blew up, but it also changed the course and changed the game for movie marketing, you know? I wonder, this maybe is a follow-up, but what are they doing now? Well, we talked a little bit about what Ryan Reynolds was doing for Deadpool. Like, I do want to dive more into that because, you know, with his aviation gin stuff, he started with that because of his success with, like, the Deadpool marketing. And it was all viral marketing. Yeah. So we know, we see it, like... The industry is totally changed. There's not really much to the traditional tactics anymore. They do show trailers on TV or connected TV or whatever, but there's there is so much more. So now. much more. Actually, it'd be cool to do an episode on like a roundup of movies and crazy ways that they've like broken through the clutter Love now it. since this. But you know, some say it wouldn't work as well in this social media era that we live in today. Like you kind of alluded to this before. I mean, today we can just Google anything and we can Facebook anything and I can check the legitimacy of anyone in 0.2 seconds. Yeah. And like, frankly, I don't know how you feel about this today, but if I meet someone and I can't find them on the internet, they're irrelevant to me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's kind of creepy if you can't find them on the internet. Yeah. Like, why are you this weird, invisible, hidden person? Drives me crazy. So, you know, to go as far as like changing the IMDb listing and create a fake documentary, I mean, I really think if they could conceive those things, they could probably make this work in the social media era too, right? Yeah, they would come up with something. They would find some way to do it. They would contact Facebook and hide privacy settings and like, again, make themselves do something. Create fake death certificates. Total. Oh, that, that would be interesting. So, yeah, that's the story of the Blair Witch Project. So what do you think, Lex? I mean, obviously, the tactics have stuck because movies are now being marketed differently. This way. And honestly, I didn't know it was fake. I, to this day, thought it was real. Really? Yeah. That's so funny. You're very gullible, though. I am very gullible. (laughs) Okay, awesome. I'm trusting. You are trusting, yes. I would say that's a positive quality. Thank you. (laughs) Before we wrap up, I want to point out and thank my sources. I got some great information from the Drum article by Rebecca Stewart, and it was titled How the Original Blair Witch Project Ushered in a New Era of Viral Movie Marketing. 
I also got some great stuff from a website called filmschoolrejects.com. In an article titled, The Blair Witch Project's True Genius Happened Off Screen. And then there was an article from 99 in Variety Magazine by Charles Lyons called, The Blair Witch Project Scares Off Hollywood Convention. And of course, my usual suspect of Wikipedia did a great job as well with their Blair Witch little roundup. Roundup, yes. And of course, we'll link out the rest of the sources in those show notes. Awesome. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed The Blair Witch Project. And if you like what you heard, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And please, please leave us a five-star review anywhere you can. It really helps and we appreciate it. And we'll see you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.